Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Dr. John Carlos! Most people do not get a chance to meet their heroes. Most uh, people you know, don't, and, and you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. That's, that's reciprocal, man. That goes both ways, man. You're my hero because the same gesture that I have is the same gesture you have to educate and move people forward to a, a better society. I'm glad we, we, we played that because um, Shelby Steele refers to John Carlos and Tommy Smith in this clip you're about to hear. I mean, it's not a clip. It's actually the full interview on Fox after this protest that took place at the Olympics. Go ahead and play it, Daryl. Controversy heating up at the Tokyo Games. From the U.S. women's soccer team yesterday to hammer throw Gwen Berry during the trials, American athletes are using their exposure to preach political messages and social injustices. But haven't we seen this before? The year was 1968. Tommy Smith and John Carlos chose to demonstrate at the medal podium because it was more important at that point for him to point out the problems in America in that point. Martin Luther King Jr. had just been assassinated. Here's him talking about it this morning. The medal had no significance to me. That was my ticket to reach the victory stand. And that was my essence and purpose of going to the Olympic Games was to make a statement, not to win a medal. And he still stands behind it today. But one man who had an entirely different experience at those very same games was Big George Foreman, won a gold medalist as a heavyweight, who proudly displayed the red, white, and blue back in 68 and talked about it. I'll never turn my back on America. I have this fond memory and love for this country and the people in this country. Nobody will ever be able to talk, talk me out of that. So why do some Olympians want to honor America and Americans today and others are determined to find and poke holes in them? Let's ask senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, Shelby Steele. Shelby, bring us back to 1968. Where were you? Uh, I was working in a government poverty program at that time uh, in East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, and I remember the, uh, the Olympics were, were a huge event and the, the fist in the air. Um, I identified with it. At that point in time, I thought it was an extremely authentic protest against uh, an America that had indulged in segregation and Jim Crow. I grew up in, in, in a world of segregation and racism. Uh, so I, 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 was a, I was really a part of that. And this was part of the black power sort of move that said, we're not going to tolerate it anymore. It's over. And even at, as sacred as the winning stand of the Olympic Games, uh, we're going to bring our protest to the whole world. Uh, so I supported them. I also, I also supported George Foreman. My, my father was, was the son of literally a slave. I'm the grandson of a slave. So I, I grew up uh, uh, in a family devoted to civil rights. But my father would, would say uh, that we had to give America a chance because it was a great country. What we wanted, all we wanted was to get in. We didn't want to change America. We didn't hate America. We wanted to join America and we wanted to have America welcome us in. And George Foreman stood for that. Uh, and and right. so I think both, both uh, parties were born out of the same tension. 1968, there were all those things and there was the Vietnam War and there was racial unrest. 
Uh, and, yes. there, and there was a different time. In 2021, John Carlos That's and Tommy right. Smith haven't changed their views. Have you changed yours? You betcha. <laughs> Here's the thing that's so fascinating to me about, about today. All the things that we protested back then are over with. We are as free as you can possibly be free. Uh, we have enjoyed freedom now for some, some 50 or so years. Uh, our problem has been a lack of development. We haven't developed commensurate with the, with the new freedom that we won for ourselves. And so we're still behind. What frustrates me today when I see someone like Gwen Berry uh, protesting at the Olympics is that, honey, you're, you're 60 years too late. Uh, protest is not going to develop black America. Black America is going to have to develop itself. Uh, we want certainly with the goodwill of other people, but it's our responsibility to develop it. So to get on the winning stand and pretend that you're somehow a victim of racism and so forth is, is horrible. It's an abomination. It, it really sends exactly the wrong message uh, to society. There's, and there is, the point is there is no racial discrimination behind it. This is not a systemically racist society. It is a systemically goodwill toward black people society. The people in this country are rooting for us. Uh, they're not holding us back. They want us to do well. Uh, and that's, that's what uh, George, George uh, Foreman's message is the one I think that endures because of that. Right. Shelby, real quick, you thought in 68... America we were, lived up to it. You got it. You thought in 68 we were coming apart. Are you concerned we're coming, coming apart again? Uh, it's, it's a very... Uh, this is a very tense moment. Um, we... we uh, my own personal opinion, we, we're coming to the end of many bad ideas that started in the 60s that took away responsibility for our development from us. And that, that hurt us more than anything. And so now, now here we are having to really face, face something, a mountain that's very high. We have to take responsibility for the development of, our, of, of ourselves, of our people, right. uh, if we're ever going to see equality. Uh, we'll have to do that. Gotcha. That's a, that's difficult. We will, we'll resist. We'll protest and act as though that'll do it, but it never will. We should be Americans first and, and reverse the hyphen, and, and then work Absolutely. our way from back there. Absolutely, Shelby Steele, you're making a lot of sense. Your respect. We, should, we yeah. should go ahead. Good citizenship rather than race. That's what we want. Shelby Steele, thank you so much. Okay. <clears throat> you heard the whole interview. I I mean, I I couldn't make notes fast enough. And you know what is really what stood out the the person doing the interview has no idea of what historically happened. You know, because he's very limited, and I can guarantee you that that that's a that that is a, a, a I'm being kind. We interviewed John Carlos about that protest. You know, a lot of people don't know that 
the government of Mexico had riots prior to the Olympics and hundreds of young people were killed. Young people were protesting. And by the way, South Africa was going on at that time. It wasn't just the United States that they were sending a message to. But he didn't know that. Oh, Now, here's the deal. Line 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, open. This is why I wanted the younger generation, which, by the way, the Black Lives Matter generation, the folks who have been out protesting, you heard what Shelby Steele said. You heard what he said. Forget protesting. Forget protesting. Really? We just had members of Congress who were arrested. John Lewis. John Lewis actually had a sit-in on the floor of the House of Representatives. That was a protest, ladies and gentlemen. You heard what he said. Phone number, one 801 You remember when I said to all of you, and I said this at the um, candlelight vigil for uh, John Lewis, I'm not passing the torch. I'm not passing my torch and handing it uh, over to anybody, especially the younger generation. Oh, Mr. Madison... Oh, wait a minute. What do you mean you're not going to pass the torch? No, no, don't, don't. Hold on a second. Don't get me wrong. I will light your torch. I will light your torch. John Lewis lit my torch. King lit my torch. Julian Bond lit my torch. Fannie Lou Hamer lit my torch. But Rosa Parks lit my torch. But they stayed on the battlefield with their torch. Because if I hand you my torch... Because that's what Shelby Steele, let me tell you what happened. When I hand you my torch, what happens? I'm in the dark. I'm left in the dark. And if, and if, if I'm in the dark, somebody has to explain to you, Shelby Steele. There's a reason we haven't heard from him. And you heard that reason in that Fox interview. There's a reason we have not heard from Shelby Steele. Because what he just said was antiquated and half-assed backwards. Protests going on all over the world. Oh, systemic racism. And, and, you know, it's bullshit. Let me explain bullshit. They mix it with the regular cow dung, which is used as fertilizer, which helps, you know, plants grow. And farmers know that bullshit doesn't, is is harmful because it's full of what? Testosterone, right? Testosterone, Testosterone, right? Male Male hormone from the bull. And farmers used to mix it in with the good stuff. The cow dung. And the farmers who knew this was happening, they would say, oh, wait a minute, man, you got some bullshit in that dung, in that fertilizer. 
and try, and try to sell it off as pure fertilizer. So, you know, he says something like, well, we got to uplift ourselves and die. You're right. It, it, it's exactly right. But to say, well, you know, we don't, there's all that, no, this isn't happening, that isn't happening. And, you know, we got, and, and so you get a lady, I, I th- when, I, when he was talking, I think of that lady out of Indianapolis who tried to sell her home and had to bring a white man in to get a fair evaluation of the value of her home. And everybody was in on that. The appraiser, the freaking bank mortgage company, they knew. That's, that is what you call systemic. And then you, you at Sandra Blunt, and I think of all these young, you know, I think of all these young victims, these young victims of police brutality and murders, and then he sits up and says, well, no. And, then, and that's what, they, and by the way, the Panthers, that's what they were fighting. And I, I, I got to tell you, I was watching, uh, it, it, I got, if you have not seen it, Hulu, I think it's on Hulu now, was a summer, uh, soul summer? Summer of soul. Summer of soul. Summer of soul. Quest love. Yeah, Quest love, I don't know if he listens or doesn't listen, but let me tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Outstanding. What, outstanding. I mean, they, they, his whole team did an outstanding standing job at, at 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 educating a generation multiple generations as to what was happening at that time and 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 what was, and it was the end where the one guy said man i'm not crazy i realized i wasn't crazy then I, I was reading, uh, you know, about uh, Jeff Bezos and, and going to the, um, uh, you know, going into space travel. Said $200 million that if you stack $200 million on top of each other, it would, go, it would stack up higher than he went in space. And, and, you know, and I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be serious about this. I agree with him. Yes, we can. We need to do both. We need to take care of what's going on here on this planet. And, and you know, to be quite candid, that whole space race is about military. That's what that's about, ladies and gentlemen. That's military. That's just, that's just part of the military-industrial complex. And what really upset me with Jeff when he said, well, you know, we can put our, our junk up in space. We can put our junk up in space. Now, why in the hell would you want to junk up space? We've fucked up the earth with plastic bottles and junk and, and, and stuff. Now, and then he says, well, let's, let's just send all the shit up to space. Food you can't eat from the ground, air you can't breathe, and water you can't drink. So let's go do so, duplicated yeah, in space. space. Let's let's take out six, technology. You know, I, I know it's forty-two after the hour. So you know what? Oh, I, I wanted I wanted Generation X, Z, Millennials. 
I wanted y'all to to hear that entire interview and now get your comments. But I'm I'm just going to tell you, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. No. Always be prepared to protest. Remember what Frederick Douglass said. Remember what Frederick Douglass said. Power. Power concedes nothing without demand. Never has and never will. Hey, let me welcome now to the Madison Show, Kimberly uh, Tignor, and is co-founder, uh, and, and uh, She Will Rise organization, and she's also the executive director at uh, Institute of Intellectual Property and Social Justice. And thank you, uh, hey Kimberly. Let me tell you, I you know I've sort of held off thinking about whether or not Justice Breyer should retire. Um, and I kind of called on a, an old country western song. You got to know when to hold them, fold them, <laughs> and, and and walk away. And know when to walk away. <laughs> and know when to, <laughs> to walk away. And, I, so, and sometimes run. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but you know what? And I kept holding off because I hate to tell people you know, who maybe, you know, feel like they, they still have something to offer. But this is about timing, political timing, is it not? I mean, I think that the timing question, it is, it, it, every, listen, it's always about timing, right? And I feel like, I mean, even when you think about these pipelines throughout the federal judiciary leading up to the Supreme Court, is about timing, it's about consistency, and it's about focus. I feel like that's even a lesson that we've learned um, in watching what's happening on the Supreme Court now. You know, and I know that on everyone's mind, as far as, you know, Justice Breyer and his decision as to whether or not he should or should not retire, it's something that, has, that certainly was, on every, was front and center on everyone's mind um, this past summer. And it's just, you know, as I sit and reflect about it and reflect on his legacy and his prestigious and amazing career um, in service, I do think it is a missed opportunity or regrettable that we just did not have an opportunity to further diversify the deliberative body that is on that Supreme Court now. And this speaks to another position, and I am, and I do not hesitate to take this position. Damn it, it is time it is pastime for a black woman to be represented on that United States Supreme Court. I mean, way past uh, uh, time. Well, now, thank you for go that. Ahead. And thank yeah. you for having us on this morning. I, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate this discussion. Um, for people who might argue, oh, well, you just want a black woman on. So let me hear your argument, Kimberly as to why that would be important. I know the historical significance, but why is it important that a, that, that a black woman be on the United States Supreme Court? So I would say there's two, there's two parts to this answer. The first part is that I think that a lot of people miss that the Supreme Court, and honestly the judiciary as a whole, 
as these justices are making their decisions, it is a deliberative process. They are each weighing in and using their own lived experiences to help guide where they land on every single one of these decisions. And so, you know, from a representation standpoint, we can just get that fundamental marker in there to say this is about lived experiences. This is about bringing Mm -hmm. in diverse perspectives. Right. On the second hand, I would say that black women, you know, we sit at the intersection of gender and race bias. And as a result, we have we are uniquely qualified at making sure that identifying who is not at the table working to bring them in, be it as through representation or just through, through thought, right, to bring their, make sure that they're being included and thought of as we deliberate. And, you know, we really are um, the masters of leaving the door behind us open, right, and bringing those in as a result of us being able to sit at the table. Um, so I would say that that is how, you know, that is the unique quality a black woman would bring to the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, you know. Yeah, because as you're talking, and a lot of people may or may not know this, I'm certain you do, your organization, She Will Rise, and and the Institute on Intellectual Property and Social Justice, these associate justices all sit around the table. And like you said, they deliver. They they deliberate. They bring to their perspective. Uh, So if you're Hispanic, you bring that perspective. Uh, If you're a white male, you bring it. Uh, Who best to bring the perspective of the majority of American citizens and voters in this country than a black woman, who, by the way, is not at that table? They're not at that table when they discuss these issues and and come up with... uh, with the decisions. Now, this is a political strategy question. Help my audience understand, um, uh, Kimberly, if politically, how would it be handled if Associate Justice Breyer announced today he was going to retire? What would be the political process and how, and, and how would we navigate past uh, McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate? Well, so this is how it goes, right? So let's say we do get that vacancy tomorrow. Um, We would see the president, then, um, you know, he would then nominate someone to fill that seat. And then the Senate confirmation process, that would start. So what we'd have is that we would start doing our own vetting. Um, Both sides would do their own vetting of that candidate. They would start doing interviews, looking to their backgrounds. We would have an official background check that would be taking place. Um, and then each side, both um, you know the Republicans and the Democrats, would be doing their own research and looking into the past and the background of that candidate. Then what we'll see is the Senate confirmation hearings. Those would be done in the Senate Judiciary Committee, and then that would be an opportunity for us to then, um, you know, have the candidate or the nominee testify before the Senate. Um, they would, the senators would have the opportunity to ask them their questions. And then soon after that, we would have them uh, take a – after they would get voted out of the committee, they would then get a Senate floor vote. And, you know, it, now because we removed the filibuster, um, I think that was uh, during the vote of Justice Gorsuch, all we need is a, a simple majority to be able to move that nominee to that would be confirmed. That would be – that would be 51 votes. That's right. That would That's be, right. Which, are the, which, by the way, 
Oh, please, uh, what's his name from West Virginia? Manchin, please don't act up. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being real. Uh, <laughs> and Cinnamon, yeah, from Arizona, please. Will you let, I think that you made a really interesting point a few minutes ago about the deliberative body of the Supreme Court. And I just want to put a small nugget. I want to add something to that that I think a lot of people don't realize about what a deliberative body the entire federal judiciary is. While it may be one judge that is in front of you on your day of court, right, when they go and they close and they go back to their chambers, they are all colleagues, you know, Mm -hmm. amongst each other. And they deliberate and lean on the expertise of each other and the thought process of each other. And so, you know, just again, to kind of nail down on that point on the importance of of diversity on the federal judiciary and the importance of these pipelines and ensuring that they are diverse as well as they lead up to the Supreme Court. Um, so I just wanted to, I, I love the point that you made earlier. I just wanted to double down on it. No, I appreciate it because most people don't realize that. I mean, like you, your organization follows, I do, but most people don't understand that. And I've known federal judges that sat on, uh, have been very good friends of mine, sat on circuit uh, benches. Mm-hmm. And and thank God they were there. And the, the, the uh, Damon Keith's of the world, the Nathaniel That's Joneses right. of the world, um, you know, they then they will say, Joe, without us sitting there, the perspective wouldn't be heard That's right. and, and wouldn't be known. Uh, and so I'm glad you did nail down. So this goes back now to the politics. Let's make the assumption 51 votes are right there now. Right now, you've got it. And I'm not taking anything from away from Associate Breyer, Justice Breyer. He's participated on my show and programs that we've had. He has a stellar career, but we gotta we we have to be careful because we've got a major uh, candidate uh, election coming up, a new Senate. That's right. Uh, now would be the time. Now, the, in other words, we, the, the votes are there because the Republicans are going Mitch McConnell is going to do what he can to stop it. We know that. But he doesn't have the votes right now. If every Democrat held tight. Um, now, here's the other political question. Do you have any indication? Uh, Kimberly T- uh, Tignor, do you have any indication that. Joe Biden, President Biden, would nominate an African-American woman? Well, you know, we saw, I mean, my, the short answer, yes, right? I would say last summer we saw then-candidate Biden and um, then-candidate Sanders commit to nominating the first black woman to the Supreme Court. Um, and I have to tell you, I mean, that was part of the reason why we started She Will Rise, is that, you know, it was something that was so so, so significant, you know, to me as a black woman, um, as a civil rights advocate, um, is that this commitment was made. And I was a little concerned when I didn't see a lot of energy around this commitment. And, you know, last summer was the summer of all summers um, when it comes to looking at social social justice and civil rights issues. 
I feel like it brought, it just kind of brought to the top so many issues from police reform, access to, to quality health care, voting rights. I mean, there were so many things that we had to pay attention to and were just really brought to the light in a very upsetting and glaring way. And what we really think is important and what we wanted to do is demonstrate to the civil rights community, to communities of color, of how the Supreme Court and the courts as a whole, the federal courts as a whole, needs to be integrated into the social justice and civil rights agenda, which it, which it already is. But I'm talking about, you know, to, to, in a grassroots way, to integrate that into the strategy for social justice reform. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely 100% correct. I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Final question, and that is, so what can my listeners do here on The Madison Show? What's our next step? Because I don't know, do we, do we contact the Associate Justice Breyer and say, come on, man, you know, it's time to fold him, <laughs> it's time to walk away? Uh, I mean, what, because, you know, it's his decision. It really is his decision. And I'm not suggesting he would make it in a vacuum. So what, what can the average listener do? I think that what we, I mean, what I know we should do is a couple things. I mean, so one, I would love for your listeners to engage and follow and stay connected with She Will Rise. You can find us at sistascotus.org. That's www.sis. T-A, SISTA, SCOTUS, S-C-O-T-U-S, dot org. Um, sign our petition, engage with us online, join the conversation, because what I think is going to be critically important is that our folks stay engaged on the importance of the Supreme Court, not when there is a vacancy, right, but every day. We need to be thinking about and talking about how it's impacting our day-to-day lives. Because as you already know, if we're not talking about the Supreme Court until there's a vacancy, we're, we're, we're years yeah, too late to late, the conversation. Right. Yeah. And, and I also know this, um, and I want everybody to understand it, although sometimes I think they get fooled. These justices don't make a decision in a vacuum. That's right. They really don't. I mean, this, you know, it, as if they don't read newspapers, as if they don't listen. You know, they, they don't make uh, these decisions. And Brian knows what's going on. He's got friends uh, and associates, and, and uh, they, 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 these decisions, uh, you have as much of an impact, all of us do, as the, as the legal code does. I mean, it's, it's, it's a combination, really, of, of both. Uh, we'll make sure all this gets on our social media. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely be back in touch. Oh, thank uh, you so much for having me on today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, you know, I, like I said, I've been putting off stating my position on this only because I've known Justice Breyer, and I'm one of these people that, um, you know, I hate to push people out. Uh, especially if they're not ready to go. But uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it, it is about political timing because Lord knows if, 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 if it shifts the other way and McConnell mm, is, is back in power, we can bend over and kiss our collective political butts goodbye. Um, so that's just my input. Thank you. Appreciate it, Kimberly. Thank you, and we'll be back in touch, I promise. Okay, talk soon. 
You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.